Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. So we have a bonus episode this week. We interview Ames Morrison. He is the co-founder and founding partner of Medlock Ames Winery. He is a master farmer and he grew up in Virginia, probably about an hour from where we live in D.C. Even though he had all of this experience and all of this knowledge in farming, winemaking was not on his radar until one night him and a friend had too many bottles and decided to move to California. It's quite a captivating story and it seemed like he was born to do this. While you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to like, comment, share, and leave us five stars. Cheers. Y'all ready? Yeah. Are you ready? (laughs) Ready for your beautiful introduction. Welcome to the (laughs) Swift. That just made my night. Welcome to the Swirl 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 Swirl, 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 y'all. How y'all doing tonight? Hey, hey, hey. Denisha, did you get a nap today? Because you look spicy right now. Ain't she spicy today? It's early for her. It's early. It's only 10 o'clock. It's only 10. Oh, my goodness. How's everybody doing today? Good. Thanks for asking. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'll tell Let's you in a minute when I taste this wine. Oh, Uh-oh. let me tell y'all. So we have a special guest and he was kind enough to send us bottles of his 2019 Cabernet. This is a wine that will make you forget what day you had. Whatever day oh that you had. My it's God. Beautiful. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's beautiful. I'm so scared I'm going to fall in love with it. <laughs> you just and might. I'll be harassing you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know it's the last of the bottles forever. Like, I'm certain you'll be able to get it again. Yeah. You never I'm know. Certain. One of the times where, I mean, it's a gorgeous wine, and I'm quite sure we will get into that. That I do want it to last, but I don't have my Corbin. Oh. Because I, I need the capsule. So I'm like, I have my Corbin, and Me I was too. going back and forth. I was like, should I or shouldn't I? Girl, you have to fill this bottle. It's it's fine. We're gonna finish this yeah. this week. Right. So it's, it it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely go not gonna waste. go to waste. So, oh yeah. you know, I love a good cabernet too. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Oh, okay. Y'all go ahead and talk. I'll be back with y'all in a minute. After I finish <laughs> well, you know what, Ames, you might as well jump in since we're talking about your wine anyway. Oh. Well, great. Uh, My name is Ames Morrison. I'm the co-founder of Medlock Ames Vineyard and Winery, which is um, an organic vineyard and winery in Sonoma County, California. We are, um, our our vineyard straddles the dividing line between the Alexander Valley Appalachian and the Russian River Valley Appalachian. So we have some sort of influences of both of those, um, those, both of those growing growing regions. Hmm. And I started, um, started this venture to, to follow my dream to make wine about 25 years ago. I was living in New York City and uh, my best friend and I were sort of new to wine. We were just trying to learn about it and we'd you know, try, to, try to stump each other and find some you know, oddball grape varieties and see if we could, see if we could trick each other. And um, one night we just drank a little bit too much wine and we came up with this idea where we'd quit our jobs, move to California and make a, start, start making wine. 
And um, the next day, we, you know, uh, even though we, our heads were a little bit clearer, we still thought it was a good idea. So within a few months, we we quit our jobs, I moved to California, and um, I started studying winemaking at UC Davis. And then every weekend, we drive all over California looking for land for sale. And after looking at about 100 different properties, we found this beautiful abandoned old vineyard and um, just set about restoring it, bringing it back to life, converting it to organic production. Well, it took a long time to, to find the right one. And um, we, didn't, we didn't know what we were doing, so we, it took us a lot longer. Um, but that was 1997 when we, when we first started. Wow. Oh, nice. Nice. So way before that, um, you grew up on a farm, I saw, in Virginia. What part of That's Virginia right. did you grow up in? Um, I'm, I grew up in Loudoun County. Um, which is right just now? over the border from Maryland, right across the river. And and it, I grew up in the in, out in the country in the in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Really, oh really yeah, beautiful sure. Land. And um, uh, so I, I kind of always had that love of of nature and, and land in my in my blood. Um, and there's actually a growing wine industry in Virginia. It's getting pretty. It certainly is. Yeah. Um, what did you grow on the farm that you grew up on? Um, we grew, uh, when I was little, we, we, we raised um, cattle and pigs and um, grew all the, the crops that, to feed them. But then uh, my father never made any money doing that. And one, one day he just realized that we're only about an hour from Washington, D.C. And there are all these people grow, who grew up riding horses who just have these re expensive retired pets. And so he, he turned our farm into a kind of a retirement home for, for old horses and it just was a lot easier. And, um, and then, and it allowed him, it wasn't, he didn't set out to do this, but it allowed him to, to farm organically. Um, so that was a great influence on me too. Really quick. Have you so been I, back oh, to Loudoun ahead. County? I'm sorry, have you no, been back ahead. to Loudoun County since? Oh yeah, I go back um, you know, a few times a year to visit family. Okay. And it always amazes me how, how much, you know, how every time I go back, I see more and more vineyards going in. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just had a small um, side question. I heard that horses are full of personality, even more so than like dogs and cats. Was that hard for y'all to have like a retirement land for hold, older horses? Yeah, it is hard because every horse that shows up, it's probably going to end its days there. So it's a little bit sad, but these horses are, um, it's sort of like paradise for them. They're turned out um, among all their friends. They, they can do what they want. And they, it's really interesting to, to watch them. And um, they're just sort of living like they would in, in the wild. It's kind of interesting. Hmm. And they, nice. do, they do have a lot of personality. And they, they form cliques. It's interesting to see like which huh. who they gravitate towards. It's kind of, kind of funny. <laughs> That's crazy. So why didn't you decide to um, plant grapes in Virginia where you already were? Um, I don't know. I probably just had this adventurous spirit. I wanted to like, try something new and do something on my own. Um, and California just seemed like the best place in the United States to, to follow that, that dream. Interesting. Can I circle back to one thing? Since I'm a city girl, how long, how typically, how long do, do horses live? What's their life um, uh, let's see, 25 is pretty old for a horse, but we've, we've had horses that have lived to their late 30s. But, wow. But even when they start to get 20, they look like 
old people, you know, they, they start to lose a lot of weight. They look like they get arthritis. Wow. Um, and they just lose some of their, that youthful spirit that horses have when they're younger. Okay. Thank you. Didn't know that. And you also went to Tulane, Leslie. Yeah. New Orleans. <laughs> you went to Tulane also? No, I did not. Um, I have a lot of family in Louisiana. Uh, yeah, um, New Orleans is such a, an amazing city. It's, a, you know, it's the birthplace of jazz and um, there's just great music, great food and everybody is so friendly there. It's just, it's a really nice environment. I have a friend, I have a friend, she was really originally from Philly and she moved to New Orleans and then back to DC. She said that everything was bland when she came out of New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they put a lot of spice in there, in their cooking. But it's just the right amount. It's not, not too much. It's flavorful. That's yeah. It's yeah. flavorful. Yeah. No, it's, it's spicy. Definitely. It's hot and spicy. <laughs> Everything is from flavorful. Chicago no. would say that. <laughs> oh, so shots fired. All right. I see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna go ahead and put myself back on mute. I, I know where I know when I'm not wanted. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> so Angie, you were also in the Peace Corps in Guatemala. That's, How was that? That's right. That was just such a formative experience for me. Um, a few months after college, I, I had the opportunity to, to go into the Peace Corps and um, worked with farmers in the kind of very remote um, highlands of Guatemala. And I was um, helping like, groups of farmers, women's groups, students to form like create community gardens. And it was really um, just satisfying to see like that empowerment people feel when they work together and create something that can help feed their community. And um, that was, was such such a great experience for me. And it really, um, it also had a, it had a big influence on my desire to farm organically because although um, the people there have such tremendous reverence for the land, they use a lot of chemical pesticides, not in the, like the small groups, like the small co cooperatives I've worked with, but a lot of farmers there use pesticides and they, it feels kind of indiscriminate. They're not wearing the proper protective clothing. And it just made me really um, just worried for these people. And so it made me realize that when I wanted to start farming, I wanted to do it in a, in a chemical free way. Over, over the summer last year, we had an opportunity to go up to um, the Finger Lakes and uh, Sarita and Glennis sat on this panel that sticks with me today. And they were talking a lot about the farming practice in um, grape growing and, and fruit and what have you. And one of the biggest challenges is that a lot of the people who work in the farms, uh, English is their second language. And so many of the chemical, the instructions for the chemicals and how to handle them are not in Spanish or another language. So a lot of those farmers um, are at a disadvantage and, and potentially harmful to their health because they're not aware of what to do with those chemicals. The safety data sheets, the safety data sheets at one point, especially early, I guess it's becoming more, prevalent now in most farms, they, they put the chemical data, data sheets in um, English and Spanish as a second language for the most part. 
And that's because of the environmental justice movement. Um, so, but um, to speak to Leslie's point, the gentleman that was that co-chaired or you know was on the panel with us, that was those was one that was one of the things he spoke to, and I, it really resonated with me as well. So you got to you know if we don't have anybody in the venue to pick the fruit and that and they're healthy, it's gonna affect down the um, supply chain. So we got to keep keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. In California, um, you know, the vast majority, I would say well over 90% of farm workers, um, Spanish or English is not their first language. So it's really critical. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, the, but the vineyard owner, the, the, the farm owner has a legal obligation to make sure that the people who are in contact with the pesticides know all the risks and all the safety protocols because um, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's really they have, have a legal obligation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it's really interesting that that overlap between an environment, between uh, people caring for the environment and caring for people doing the work. Like that's that that environmental justice is usually yes. when when one happens, the other is happening, or when one's not happening, you you can probably expect that the other is not happening too. Exactly. Exactly. Is it? Um... I know California has been the leader for a long time in sustainable farming and um, conscious farming. Is it difficult in your area um, to maintain organic farming for runoff or anything of that nature? Or do you, are your, do you have good neighbors that also practice the same? Um, it's much easier just um, because of our climate here, it's much easier to, be, to farm grapevines organically than it is on the East Coast. We don't have we don't see one drop of rain generally between April and October, and so we we have a lot less to worry about in terms of like diseases that where you get a lot of summer, summer rains in yeah. Virginia and Maryland and that that it's and then you have different sort of exotic insect pests that have come in from other parts of the world that are really um, do a lot of damage to grapevines and uh, there I think there's only one certified organic winery in all of Virginia. Um, uh, there, um, in Sonoma County, where I live, which is one of probably one of the highest percentages of organic certificate certified vineyards, less than two percent of the, the vineyard land is is organic, and and this is a pretty you know progressive county. Wow! Wow! Excellent. But the, the hardest thing for us is to manage weeds. So so because we get so little rainfall. Any weeds are competition for um, for the vines for, for their needs, and there's a very cheap alternative called glyphosate, which is sort of the main ingredient of Roundup, and um, that is very effective and cheap. But it's you know, so bad. There's some, uh, um, I guess it's I don't know if it's been proven or not, but there's some some possible links between glyphosate use and um, different types of cancer. Mm -hmm. And it's also just, you know, not good for the micro microbes in the soil. Yep, that would be a correct statement. And there's also <laughs> been some studies that links glyphosate with, uh, because they use glyphosate on weeds, I mean, wheat as well. And it's some, there's been some studies and links to um, um, gluten intolerance as well because of it. Mm. Yeah, so. 
if you're eating bread that's not organic it, um, and it's from the US, it's almost 100% certain that it's been sprayed with glyphosate. So that's yes, exactly. About. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. That is one of the things you should either um, make your own, which could be a time consuming, or definitely seek out organic. Mm-hmm. Or don't eat American brand. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there. how are we not? How well, we listen not? to her from France. Right. Exactly. <laughs> y'all know, y'all have everything fresh there. Exactly. All sorry, not sorry. Go, all I got to do is go downstairs right under my apartment. I can get whatever food I want. We got to drive to the supermarket. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you have a car with air conditioning and heat. That seems nice. <laughs> Not with these gas prices. No, no, it don't. Yeah, no, it, it oh, I'm gonna send, send you gas prices here. I'm gonna send y'all the photo. Oh, please do. I'm dying to know. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Okay, we digress. Sorry, we digress. All right, sorry. All right, sorry. We, we digress. Uh, and, we're, and we're back. Back to Ames. Um, that was so a what, out. <laughs> what kind of grapes do you grow? Um, we grow uh, seven different grape varieties uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, uh, Malbec. Uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and a tiny bit of Pinot Noir. Um, and we used to grow nine varieties. And so I'm used, it's, I'm used to saying nine, and someone asked me that question. But we had a fire, that, a wild, like a, a, a drought in, uh, influenced wildfire that hit, hit our vineyard a couple of years ago, and it burned some, some of the grapevines. So we had to remove uh, about, about 20% of our vineyard. So we've done a lot of replanting. Oh, oh wow. Man. Okay, sorry to hear that. Ames, I um, recently read in, was it 750 Daily? They were talking about a Merlot shortage in Sonoma. Is that affecting you at all? Um, well, it doesn't affect us um, because we grow all of our own grapes. Uh, we, don't, we don't buy any grapes, so a shortage um, would actually, actually might help us. But I, I, have not, I had not heard, heard that there was a shortage. Um, but Merlot has been a variety that um, was kind of much maligned after a, a movie uh-huh. called Sideways that um, just kind of trashed it. And the, the year or the, the week that that movie came out was the, the first week that we had commercial wine that we produced. I was getting ready to go out in the, into the marketplace and start selling this wine at restaurants and wine shops. And this movie came out and overnight it was just became impossible to sell. Um, so, I, so a lot of people started pulling out their Merlot vineyards so maybe that's influencing why why there's a shortage today i'm not sure what they were saying was one because of the fires and then two in part because people were pulling them out so it isn't as widely grown as other varietals in in the area and so because of climate changes and the fires or what have you the small supply that did exist is now even smaller. And so people are having a hard time finding Merlot, especially for those um, winemakers who don't grow their own wine. I mean, grow their own wine, grow their own grapes, that they're buying at the cost of Merlot is much higher than in previous years. That's crazy to me because Merlot is a blending grape. Exactly. So it can always be utilized. So that's so odd. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of the great grape varieties of the world. It's, it's, I love yeah. it. 
<laughs> and you know what's funny, y'all? In Sideways, in the movie, he doesn't even say why he doesn't like Merlot. He just doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people like that, too, with other varietals. It's like Chardonnay haters. <laughs> or some young blonde, you know. No. <laughs> I knew where she was going. I knew where she was going. <laughs> Oh, so Ames, tell us about the wine that we are drinking right now. Yeah, 2019 Cabernet. So um, 2019 is the year we had this wildfire. But up until that point, it was one of the best growing seasons we've ever had. So luckily, we were able to harvest these grapes before the before the fire. Um, this one is, I think it's 91% Merlot, 6% Petit Verdot, and 1% Malbec. And uh, 91% Merlot, but 1% Malbec. No, oh, we have the cab, we have the Cabernet. You said 91% Merlot. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm... 91% Cabernet. So, I was yeah. getting ready to right. say, Yo, label, you gonna get in trouble. It's <laughs> 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 like, we'll say Cabernet Sauvignon in 2019. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, and so, so over half of our acreage is Cabernet, and we have about 30 different separate. Uh, blocks, sort of separate growing areas on our vineyard that are dedicated to Cabernet. And each one is a little bit different. Uh, some of them might have a different clone or a different rootstock, or there's a different soil type, row direction, soil depth, and all these things, um, even though it's the same property, it makes um, the, the, the Cabernet that grows in that spot just slightly different. And so we get, the, we get these 30 different elements to start blending. And each, you know, each one, you know, can provide something that the other one can't. So it's really fun to kind of sit down and mix and match and figure out what the, the ideal blend blend is. This is so very well balanced. It, I was reading the label and you have 14, 14.9% alcohol on this. So that kind of makes me go, hmm, might be a little higher, but won't say that. Please cut that part out. Sarita from the um, podcast. However, it is so very well balanced. It's not hot. This is just not smooth. hot at all. It's not hot. You would not. That's why I had to look at the label because I was, you know, I tasted it and, and I, well, I read the label, then I tasted it, and then I went back to the label and I was like, 14. I'm like, no, not this. So it is very good. So one of the, one of the biggest challenges we have at our, our um, vineyard is in a, sort of our elevation and with our very shallow soils is the, um, the, the fruit tends to have a lot of tannin in it. And uh, tannin is a really important component of wine, but if there's too much, it can kind of, it's, it can be unpleasant to drink. So, so our technique to soften that tannin is to leave the grapes on the vine for more time. And that helps soften some of the, the tannins. Um, and uh, um, so, so that's sort of our, our, our technique to, to get softer wines. And you, you were mentioning earlier that you, you, know, you weren't sure if you wanted to corb in or, or pull the cork out for these wines, but this, because of the tannin and the acid these wines have, they'll, they'll, if you open the bottle, it'll stay, you know, sometimes it tastes better the second day or even, and even the third day. Yeah. Well, we'll try to see if we can leave that bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking but at your you... website now and you have um, a, a rosé on here. What do you make your rosé with? Uh, we make our rosé from uh, Merlot, Merlot grapes. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> are you, are you ever concerned about overripeness with leaving the grapes on the vine longer? Yeah, that, that's a concern. Um, 
But with Cabernet, I'm more concerned about underripeness because okay. if it's underripe, you can get these green elements that yeah. a little bit can make it kind of interesting. But if it's like bell pepper or grass, it's not it's not good for, for yeah. Cabernet. Right. And then and then we have other varieties that we can use to blend. If it if it is a little bit overripe, we can blend in Merlot, Merlot or um, some some of our we sometimes use Petit Verdot, which has a little bit more acid, so that can uh -huh. kind of give it a little more liveliness. Cab Franc can add this kind of floral element. Yeah. I read that you um your team uses a light touch technique, and it's healthier for the vineyard crew. So uh, explain what that is. Oh, sure. Well, that's um, mostly it's organic. So just not using synthetic chemicals um, is, you know, it's better for the environment. It's better for our consumer and, and probably most important to me is better for our, the people tending the, tending the land. What, you know, one of my inspirations for farming organically was like, I didn't want to be exposed to those things. And I don't want people who I'm asking to, you know, to help with the vineyard to, to be exposed to those things either. Um, but that's but sort of organic is what we've done for a really long time. But after the after these wildfires, it, that was sort of a wake up call for me to think about what we could do, what else we can do, what are what am I missing? And um, I started to think about our impact on climate change and climate change's impact on, on us as a vineyard. And a big part, I sort of just did a lot of research and studying about it. And uh, agriculture in general contributes about 10% to, glo glo to uh, carbon emissions and global warming. But um, uh, soil has this tremendous ability to store carbon. So uh, green plants photosynthesize and take carbon dioxide out of the air and put it into their roots and mm -hmm. where it can stay for, for a very long time. And so um, techniques, farming techniques that uh, don't disturb the soil help store more carbon in the ground. So that's that's like our, my latest um, focus is to make our vineyard carbon sink rather than a, a, a contributor to global warming. Was it something special about the soil um, on your property that made you say, oh, this is it? I know it was already a vineyard, but was it something about the soil that made you say, yes, we can, this is it. This is it for us. No, no it was, actually, that's a good question. I. Um, I was still still in school when I was when we were looking for vineyards, and so when they say a little education is a dangerous thing, so I thought I knew way more than I did. And so we looked at all these different properties, and I said, "Oh, it doesn't have this, that, or the other." Um, but when we came upon this Bell, Bell Mountain Ranch, it, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a, a, a rational decision. It, it turns out that it was, but it but it, but it turned out to be a good idea. But the it was really just emotional feel like I just. I knew it was the right place. I just sort of felt it in my gut. And that was um, just such a, such a beautiful spot. We sort of felt like we found our home. But then once we, once we, once we started farming it and uh, most of the vineyard was planted on um, a, a rootstock called AXR1, which most, uh, almost all grapevines in the world are grafted to prevent them from um, being, having the roots damaged by a little insect Phylloxera. pest called called phylloxera but the the rootstock that this vineyard was planted on was susceptible to it and a lot of the vineyard was starting to, to die so so we did a lot of um we dug 100 backhoe pits all throughout the land jumped down inside them took took soil analyses at various levels in, e in each of these 100 pits and had this really good picture of what the soil was and that helped us determine 
what what variety, what rootstock to grow, and all the different microclimates of the of the property. Your um, label is very interesting. I'm assuming that part of the shape is a mountain, but can you give us some background on the impetus behind your label? Yeah, it's funny. Not very many people are able to to identify what's in it, but that's kind of part of the fun. Um, when we were designing the label, we um, we wanted something that had this sort of modern, contemporary look that, and we didn't want it to look dated after 10 years. Um, and so this is sort of a representation. It's two things. One is wine swirling around in the glass. So it's got that wavy motion. Oh, I and then see there's it. A, and you're, if you're, mm-hmm. uh, like you're, if you're spinning, swirling the wine too vigorously, like one of the a drop might come out of the, spill oh. out of the glass. So that's sort of captures that moment right before you take your first sip of wine. But then, like you say, it's also uh, represents our landscape. So it's the one, it's the hills, one of our ponds, and then the the sun is that little round round circle. Nice, really nice, <laughs> very nice. I love that. Ames, yeah. can you talk about your um your sound immersion tours? I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh yeah. Um. So. Uh, 25 years ago, I went to this museum in Brooklyn called PS1. It's an old, like an ancient schoolhouse that's been converted into a museum. And they had a sound art installation. I'd never heard of sound art. And I didn't even know that was a thing. And you, you put on these headphones and you walk around this museum and you, you, could, you can hear footsteps, which sound like it's a recording, but you can imagine that they're your own footsteps. And, and you can, you just, it was just so clever. I just never seen anything like that. And there are all these little sounds as they would get louder as you get closer. Um, but it was all just, you know, how, how the recording was made. And I always thought it'd be really interesting to recreate that into the, the vineyard environment, but I didn't, I had no idea how to even start doing that. Um, and I just sort of filed it away as an idea that will never be realized. And then when the pandemic broke out, we, um, in California, they shut down all parks and you know, you know, all outdoor places that public spaces were, were off limits. So and everybody was just cooped up and stuck at home. Um, so we, like we, our vineyard is 50 acres, but the whole ranch is 340 acres. And so we made it available to all of our team to just you know, come there if they wanted to be there with their families. It's really easy to spread out and be safe. And um, so we thought it would be really interesting to somehow create a way for our, our customers to also you know, take advantage of the, our land. And we also were thinking about ways that we could um, you know, not have close contact between our staff and, and visitors. And so then I remembered I had this idea. And so we um, partnered with a, a local sound artist who came out to the vineyard and spent, um, he, he recorded thousands of hours of uh, sounds of nature, sounds of people working. And, um, and so he sort of has this huge library of sounds of our, of our land. And then we re- recorded, uh, we, so, uh, visitors come in, they, they take a walk around the vineyard and through, through our forests and woodlands, and they're listening to headphones that are, um, and it's, a, it's attached to an app that you, you can download on your phone. And as you walk around, you sort of enter the GPS can, knows where you are as you enter a new zone. And as you enter a new zone, you hear the sounds of, that, are, that would normally be happening in that area. And then you can, you, you know, we, you hear a little description of what's happening and it's, it's, really, it's really cool. Wow, sounds, sounds like a nice experience. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sounds relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> with a glass of this. Oh yeah. You bring a glass with you. It's about a about a mile. It's not too not too strenuous. Hmm. That's nice. Like you may not want to leave the vineyard. <laughs> Just <laughs> wandering around the grapes. <laughs> you drink too much, you might get lost on 348. <laughs> Trust fund, baby. I'm still sticking with that. <laughs> so you guys have a wine club, right? We do, yeah. So um, we, we ship wine to our, our customers a few times a year, and um, it's a great way. We have some wines that are hard to find, and so, and so our club members have, have access to those, those wines that we don't make very much of. So this 2019, what's the price point on it for our listeners? Bell Mountain Cabernet 2019? Uh, $60. $60. I yeah. Nice. Yeah, this is, this is wonderful. Like, the more I drink it, yeah. It gets better. <laughs> it's one, and it's a 2019. Right. Which is kind you of know, young I, for Kev, right? Exactly. Which means you can age this. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think yeah, it'll last for 15 or 20 years. I, yeah. I think. But you know, we've been doing this for a while, so we're able to taste some of the wines we made 20 years ago. In fact, that we're, at, we're, um, we're having an, a, an alumni party, but all the people who've worked for us that have moved on to other things where next month we're going to have a little party to have them all come back and um, we'll open up some, you know, you know, vertical of all the wines we've made throughout the, throughout the years. Wow. I think our invitations got lost in the mail. So I think you might need <laughs> to do some of <laughs> Well, I would love to have you anytime you want to visit. No, I'm mute. <laughs> I saw on Instagram that Chris Christensen of Bodkin Wines was an enologist there. Oh yeah. At, at Bell Mountain. Oh yeah, do you, do you know Chris? We do not, but we've okay. um, we know who he is and we know his wine. Oh yeah, he 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 worked with us for a long time. He's great, a great guy. Just um, and he created this brand new category of wine that no one has ever had in the United States, which is a sparkling Sauvignon Blanc. Um, it's it's um, it's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had the pleasure. Yo, that sounds wonderful. That sounds <laughs> nice. And I will drink Leslie's portion. <laughs> Any other questions for Ames before we uh, do the closeout questions, ladies? Just what do you have planned for the future? Um, well, we are we're making a sparkling wine for the first time that we'll release uh, later this year, sort of in conjunction with our our anniversary. And um, that's it's been a few years in the making, so it's we're, it's been aging in the bottle for it'll be almost twenty four months before we disgorge it. And that's um, every time we, we, we break open a bottle to see how it's, it's, it's progressing. It just gets better and better. So I'm really excited about that one. Oh, nice. Is it uh, Chardonnay? I was about to ask. Oh, yeah. it's a, it's a Blanc de Noir. So it's, it's a blend of Chardonnay and, and Pinot, Pinot. Noir, but it's, but it's very clear. It's not, it doesn't have any, it's not, I wouldn't, it's not a rosé, but it's. Oh, it sounds delicious. Yeah, it does. Lovely. Yeah, we right. gotta keep checking the mailbox for those invitations. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> so we have some closeout questions. Um, they're all farm related. Um, so I don't know if anybody else can answer. Probably just Ames. Um, but here is number one: What fruit or vegetable is easiest to grow? I would say uh, 
radish is the easiest. It's, it only takes about a month to get- Say it one more time, some, I couldn't hear you. Oh, a radish. Oh, really? It only takes a month to grow. It's, you know, it's, it's attractive. You've got this red, red root and the, and the green top. You can eat the entire, you know, you can eat the greens, you can eat the radish. And it's just sort of, if you're not, if you're new to gardening, it's just great for, you know, building up your confidence. <laughs> and they taste good. Nice. Okay. What products should we grow instead of buying from the grocery store? Um, well, there's, there's something called the dirty dozen. So there, there are things that you don't want, that you, you want to try to have or, that are organic. Um, you know, it's better to have everything organic, but the most important ones are things that are there. The part you, that you eat is exposed. So um, strawberries, grapes, um, you know, blueberries, apples, pears, peaches, anything that, that the part you eat can, can, you know, is exposed to the elements or exposed to a spray. Oh. I would okay. say that's important. If you could only have one farm animal, which one would you have? Um, for me personally, or for, for, for you personally. Oh yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, well, for, for the vineyard, I think that the, the best, uh, animal is the sheep because it is, uh, um, they're, they're kind of easier to move around and, um, they just, they eat a tremendous amount of weeds and grass and sort of can, can really, um, add a lot of energy to the, to the vineyard. Okay. Last question. Name one question we should ask farmers at the farmer's market. Um, okay, so I've got two ways to answer this. The first one's kind of a cute, cutesy <laughs> answer, which is you should ask them their name. And the, the, the reason is because I think even more important than being organic, if you can look your farmer in the eye and he knows who you are and you know who he is, you're, you know, there's probably a better chance that you, you're going to have a, a relationship and he would not want to, he, he would want to, you know, I think that relationship between what you eat and where it comes from is so important. Um, but the answer that's not as cute is that I think is really important is I would ask that farmer um, what the, what the percentage of soil organic matter they have in, the, in their soil is. And that, you know, the percentage of organic matter in the soil is so important for um, water retention, for preventing, preventing runoff, for, um, storing carbon in the soil. And um, so I think that's that, it, you know, farmers that are focused on that are probably going to have better, better, like more nutritious food. And you'll know that they're taking better care of, of their environment. Before you go, tell everybody where they can follow you and um, follow the winery. Oh, well, you can, um, you can visit our website, which is medlockames.com, M-E-D-L-O-C-K-A-M-E-S. Or you can follow us on Instagram, um, got some you know, great images that you can, you can pull up on, on, or on Facebook. And, and if you ever handle, are in California, we would love to show you what we do. Is your handle, um, Medlock Ames on IG and Facebook, Facebook too? Yes. All, all one word. Oh, that's easy. Nice. Awesome. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It was, it was a pleasure meeting you all. Nice it was a pleasure meeting you. Yeah. Definitely our pleasure. And thanks yeah. again for the beautiful for the wine. Yeah. Oh, thank you yeah. so much. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's our show, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Ames. And be sure to check out Medlock Ames Winery and um taste this 2019 Cabernet because it is wonderful. 
Have a great weekend. Cheers.